0: Good evening, church. It's good to see you here. Uh, When you came in, I hope that you received a listening guide that help you as as we study tonight. As I promised, I wanted us to go for just a few minutes in a little bit more depth in what it means to enter into the battlefield of influence when you are fighting for the heart of a family member, a child, a spouse, a parent, whatever the case may be. And what does that look like? Uh, by the way did you enjoy this morning amen amen Amen. good I like that Um, how many of y'all went and picked up at least one resource guide and took it home anybody all right lots of folks did I hope that you'll check those out if you haven't done so already uh, they are there for you uh, to minister in your home or to someone that you know and we hope that you'll take advantage of it they'll be there Uh, for the next several months. We're not planning to take them away. If anything, we'll probably expand the selection over time. And uh, we'll also expand that online so that you can download them at any time. But I'm so thankful for the hard work of Todd Mayno and Mike Shipp and Dustin Clegg and and, uh, Lisa in putting all of that together, and making it look good and work well. Uh, Would you please express your appreciation to them? Because we genuinely could not have, have made this available without their involvement and their leadership. So I'm very, very thankful for them. Uh, tonight, in 2 Samuel 15, we're going to look at this question of how to fight a battle for the heart. How to fight a battle for the heart. And we're going to be looking in 2 Samuel 15, the first six verses, at the life of a man named Absalom. And you may know about Absalom already, but it's a, um, it's a dark story in many ways. But, uh, but from it, from this particular moment in his life, we can learn some things from him about how to win the heart. Before we, before we read the text and, and we launch into this for uh, the next few minutes, can I ask you just to bow your heads and to close your eyes? No one looking around, please. I want to pray for us as we start. But before we do, and I can, I can barely see with the brightness of the lights, and that's okay, that's not a bad thing, but I can see enough. Uh, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if if you feel like right now you're in a battle to win the heart of someone that you care about and win the heart of someone that you love, would you just stick your hand up and put it back down? All right. Lots of folks all over the room. Thank you very much. Father, for the sake of these dear ones that raised their hands and others that are recalling and remembering um, persons that they love, they care for, they feel like uh, that are slipping through their their the grip of their heart we pray tonight that they would be encouraged that through the story of Absalom that they would get a sense from your Holy Spirit where they can go next what they can do next father we want to not only hear your voice we want to do your will and as you stir these things up in our heart help us to recognize that's not an accident but that's a blessing from your Holy Spirit and we want to be sensitive to him And we want to be responsive. So, Father, we ask for your guidance. We pray for your uh, illumination. Help us to understand what we're reading and what we're studying. At the same time, I pray it would become real and usable uh, for those uh, members of our church family that raise their hands. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reading the first six verses of 2 Samuel 15. You know, 2 Samuel is really a lot of the life of David. In fact, if you go back to chapter 11... You'll see the turning point in his life when he committed the adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. A couple of chapters later, almost immediately, we have a very dark incident that involved one of his sons and one of his daughters by different women. And so they were they were half-brother, half-sister, Amnon and Tamar. And Amnon essentially raped his sister. And um, the brother of Tamar was Absalom. And Absalom was very bitter about what his brother had done, and he waited for two years and then took an opportunity to kill his brother. Meanwhile, David is not happy with what's happening, but he's not really doing anything about it. He's not pursuing justice with his son, and, uh, and so it's, you see in a very real way how the sins of the father is being visited down to the next generation Uh, his inability to deal with his own sin led him to really some deep flaws in the ways he dealt with his boys. Um, Absalom waited for two years, killed his brother, went off into exile, spent three years out of Jerusalem, and finally uh, Joab's military general, Joab, uh, arranged a series of circumstances for Absalom to come home, And, and we read about that. Now, what were, what were, and even after he came home, David and he didn't speak for two more years. And so there's this crazy relationship between father and son where he's angry uh, at him, but at the same time, he weeps every day for him. Uh, so Absalom comes back into Jerusalem, and at this point, he begins to lay the groundwork for what's going to become a civil war and a rebellion against his dad. And, and so in these first six verses, what we're reading is the groundwork for this rebellion. But what's very significant is what we read in verse 6. So if you'll hang with me, we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And then in verse 6, you'll see why this is so significant. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And if these guys were like traffic uh, cops. They were clearing the way for the chariot and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land... And everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. And then here it is. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, he's a negative example, but it's a powerful one. Because he turned the hearts of literally thousands of people against David. You and I live in a time where there are all kinds of forces at work to claim the affection, the attention, the devotion of your family. And in many ways to pull that affection away from you by winning their heart. And so whoever wins the battle of influence wins the battle for the family. And it's very important that you and I understand that, that process by which someone could win the heart away or win the heart to themselves. So what weapons should you bring to a battle of the heart? We talked about influence as being one of the battlefields this morning where we have to win if we're going to fight for our families. What are the weapons that we need to bring to this heart? These are just some observations and um, it won't take us long to move through them, but I hope that you'll take time to pray through them when you get home and see what the next step is. We'll say more about that in a moment. What's the weapon? The first one is this, significant time. Significant time. It says in verse 2 that Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So getting up early is noted in the text. Obviously, that represented some kind of effort or sacrifice for him, and he made the time to do it. He was influential. He had power. He had wealth. He didn't have to do that. But he did it, and he carved out the time for the people. And in the same way, if you and I are going to win the battle for influence for our family, whether it's our kids or spouse or anybody else, I've got to carve out time for them and make the effort to be with them. Now, it sounds fundamental and it sounds elementary, but you'd be amazed at how hard that is to do and to do it consistently. And how many times have we perhaps seen very good men and women lose family members because they simply didn't take the time to be with them. Someone else will, if you and I don't. And so it's very, very important that we invest significant time. I've always felt challenged in this area. Um, I don't know if you know it or not, but I love what I do. I enjoy work. Does anybody else enjoy work? Well, there's one. You know, when you, <laughs> when you love what you do, it's, um, it, makes a, it makes a big difference. And I, I love the privilege of being a pastor and to be able to teach and to encourage and work with people. But, you know, in all the years that I've done that, I have felt the time crunch. And I still do. I'm 54 years old, and I still feel challenged. Uh, most of my kids are now young adults, and uh, I wish somebody would write a book on that one. Because that's a whole new, new experience um, of parenting. But, but time is still important. And um, I remember years ago when I was bivocational, meaning I served a church part-time, worked a full-time job. Had less time, perhaps at any other time in my life, to invest in my family. But decided and was very intentional about carving out what we called Bible time in the mornings because we could have breakfast, and I could make sure they did their chores. And uh, we were homeschooling at the time, so that gave mom time to get to the table. And morning was one time that typically was undisturbed, unmolested by the schedule of my two jobs. And so we did that, we did that for years. And, um, and it was very intentional. For, for Gail and I, to this day, we carve out one evening a week, typically, where it's just her and me, uh, nobody else, not the children, um when we had a dog not the dog nobody just her and me and uh it's date night with the hot blonde and and I had to carve that time out now honestly there's nothing else I'd rather do on that evening um except be with her but it's still something that we learned to do years ago we did it on purpose we did it on purpose rich or poor didn't matter how much we had, we found time to do something we did something even if we just go get a coke at sonic we would do that so um and i remember times where we had to break the piggy bank and split a cheeseburger to do that so anyway um significant time there's a second weapon you and i need to do to win the heart and that is bring genuine interest to the relationship genuine interest genuine interest look at verse 2 as it continues not only is he rising early it says so it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. So Absalom took an interest in who they were. And it seems to be genuine. And he must have been gifted at gab relationships and relationships and talking to individuals. Um, how well do you know the heart of the person that you want to influence and that you want to win? You know, as a as a Christian, member of your family, whether it's you're, in a, you're concerned about a spouse or your kids or, or parents or grandparents, whatever the relationships are, as a Christian member of that, you want to use your influence for Christ. But, but part of that journey is having a genuine interest in them and how well do you know them, what makes them tick. One of the easiest ways to get to know anyone is to ask questions. And depending on how old they are, if they're teenagers, they're just going to grunt at first. But if you keep asking and waiting, they're going to respond eventually, right? Y'all will respond to questions. Mm, Look at that. Anyway. (laughs) So, uh, but outside of that age range, you know, you keep asking questions, people will respond to you. So show genuine interest. Here's a third weapon, verbal encouragement. Verbal encouragement. Verse 3 then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there's no deputy of the king to hear you. And so he's giving caring affirmation. He's he's blessing them. He's he's validating their, their concerns. He's validating what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And that, in an age in which there's mostly criticism, can be intoxicating to someone you want to influence. Affirmation. Encouragement. I mean, you don't have to look very far in social media, and how much encouragement do you see there? How much do you see people being affirmed, blessed for who they are blessed for what they do? Or do you see far more criticism? And so if I want to win the heart of someone, then verbal encouragement is a big one, and Absalom apparently was a master at it. He says, man, I get your concerns. Um, There's a tremendous value in a family in doing this. Uh, I can't tell you how important it is, particularly involving your kids, to encourage them and verbal encouragement. Dads need to affirm their daughters. Dads need to tell their daughters they're beautiful. And you may think that's silly, but if you don't do it, some other guy will, and he may not be a good guy. And dads need to encourage our sons, bless them, that they're doing something right, that they're becoming the kind of man that you admire. And there's a need to bless sons. And fathers play a huge role in that, grandfathers can play a huge role in that, mine did. Wives need to be heard, um, they don't always need to be fixed you want a class on that, I'll, I'll recommend something. Um, sometimes they just need to be heard. And uh, that show of empathy can be very encouraging. Husbands need to be praised. They do. Husbands need encouragement that what they do matters, that what they do is important, that what they do is valuable to the family. So verbal encouragement is a huge weapon when you're trying to win the heart. Number four, by the way, you're going to gravitate to the person who encourages you. You know that, don't you? You do that now. There's people in your life, you see them walking down the hall. Uh, you want to talk to them. Why? Because you always know when you walk away from that conversation, they're going to have blessed you in some way. They're going to encourage you. And so that's, that's intoxicating in the world that we live in, in North America, where there's nothing typically in the airways and everywhere else except criticism, tearing things down. Number four, another weapon in winning the heart is unashamed devotion, unashamed devotion look at what he does in verse 5 whenever anyone came near to bow down to him okay now that's what they should do he's the king's son he he has all of this influence and power he's sitting in the gate so he has some measure of authority and they come and they're going to bow down to him and they're doing all the proper things what does he do he treats them like family grabs them by the hand kisses them shows them appropriate affection but it's genuine affection and suddenly, everybody in Israel begins to feel like, this guy is my brother. And, um, and they respond to him. You know, one of the neat things, working for 10 years at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention with, with Emil Turner. He was our executive director, related to some 1,500 churches in our state. I can't tell you how many pastors of smaller membership churches, running 100 or less, had his cell number and could call him anytime, and he would either answer immediately or call him right back. Um, now, that's not a hug and a kiss, but that is a, a show of affection and openness that people are hungry for in the world that you and I live. Uh, it can be a hand on the shoulder, it can be a handshake, uh, it can be a hug. Uh, whatever, whatever is appropriate. You know, some people will act like they don't like affection. And, uh, but most everybody needs it. And wear them down. Just wear them down. And, um, and see where, where that goes. Kids are starved for affection. Uh, makes them vulnerable. If we don't give it at home, somebody else will give it and win their heart. Um, spouses need affection. And so we need to be unashamed about our devotion to our spouses. Do it publicly. Do it publicly. Uh, make the statement, husbands, that this woman's your wife. Uh, Make the statement, wives, that this man is your husband. Hold their hand. Put your arm around them. Unashamed devotion. Number five, last one. The weapon in the battle for the heart is unconditional love. Unconditional love. Very simply, in verse six, it says in this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel. Not just some, (laughs) but all Israel. If you came to him, he treated you just like anybody else. And he won the heart of a nation by these five weapons, and he used it for evil. God intends, and if you look back over this, this is exactly how God comes to you and me. God intends it so that he would win your heart to him and so that you would win the hearts of others for Christ. Look over these. I'd encourage you to talk about them with your spouse or your kids or your parents if you can. And then just pray. If you can't talk to them about it, just pray and say, God, which of these do you want me to use? And practically, in the relationship of this person whose heart I want to win, uh, where do I begin? How, how can I, what's the first step that I need to take? Uh, just work one, one area that seems important to you and start there. Whenever we meet to worship, there's always the possibility that someone is in need of prayer someone needs encouragement someone needs to trust christ someone is carrying a burden and they need to unload it in just a moment we're going to stand and sing we're going to have pastors at the end of each aisle and they are there to help you to encourage you to pray with you if you don't know jesus tonight they'll help you they'll share scripture with you And you can leave here tonight with a whole new life that begins by trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. They'll help you do that. If you just need to come and pray, I encourage you to get out of the pew in the balcony or downstairs and just come and pray for a moment. And then go back to your seat. If you need someone to pray with you, grab their hand. Say, pray for me. Uh, We are not intended, heaven forbid, that you and I should come in here hurting and wounded and carrying a burden too great to bear alone and to leave here in the same way that we came in. And so I'm inviting you, in the name of Jesus, to come. Let someone pray for you. And uh, let us be privileged to join with you in helping carry that burden, okay? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that we can turn to you whenever we are loaded down in unspeakable ways with hurt and pain and longing and desire and suffering. and and we don't turn to you sometimes we turn to everybody else and we turn to everything else but we don't turn to you and father tonight for that person who is hurting that person who has questions that person that needs someone to pray for them or they need to pray for someone else we pray father that you would grant them relief through the guidance of your holy spirit Father, as we respond to you and what you have said through your word and through our worship time would you guide us we welcome you here We welcome you, Lord Jesus.